Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. you're one of those tech geeks who welcomes the widespread introduction of driverless cars. Perhaps you praise the Elon Musks of the world for all the selfless work they do to improve our lives. Then again, perhaps you're someone more skeptical, someone who realizes that all such progress is funded by taxpayers, benefits the mega-rich, and increases the amount of daily surveillance in our already privacy-free lives. You see, one important component of self-driving cars is cameras. In order for them to theoretically work in a safe manner, the vehicles are covered with sensors and cameras. These cameras never stop capturing and filming everything going on around them. Driverless vehicles have been called, quote, rolling surveillance devices that expand existing widespread spying technologies, close quote. Guess who really likes this development? According to a recent San Francisco Police Department training document, autonomous vehicles are recording their surroundings continuously and have the potential to help with investigative leads. The SFPD is already using such data. Think about it. You're happily cruising along in your high-tech driverless car when some alleged wrongdoing happens somewhere in your vicinity. Data from your vehicle can be accessed by the powers that shouldn't be without your permission and used to possibly railroad some poor soul into a criminal conviction. You have become a narc without uttering a word, without even realizing it. And if you think I'm laying out a worst-case sci-fi scenario, think again. First of all, companies like Ring Doorbell and Amazon Home Security already partner with law enforcement agencies across the country to share their surveillance videos. Meanwhile, General Motors Cruise and Alphabet's Waymo, makers of driverless cars, are lining up to do the same. A spokesperson from Cruise recently explained that the company works closely with law enforcement to share footage and other information. Question. At what point does any of this feel concerning enough for you to self-educate and defend yourself? I'll be right back with Allison Gray right after this short break. And we're back with friend of the pod, Allison Gray. Allison, welcome back once again to Post Woke. Hi, and thank you for having me again. You know, in the podcast vernacular, they often use the phrase friend of the pod, but um, in light of our connection and also in how many times you've been on Post Woke, I I think we should be calling you best friend of the pod. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I like that. I was going to try to make up a joke about peas in a pod because that's us, but um, I couldn't, I don't want to be called a pea of the pod. (laughs) I'll try to avoid that. Two peas in a pod, two peas in a podcast. Um, That's a thing, I think. Let's not infringe any trademarks here. Yeah, someone's got to have you. When I I was first thinking of of titles for this podcast, 
you automatically start going to anything that rhymes with um, podcast or pod. And you realize mm -hmm. that podcasting has been around long enough that there is already things like in pod we trust and one nation, <laughs> one nation under pod. Under pod. That's yeah. so cute. And, and it, it's it, the people have come up with some incredibly creative titles, but, um, <laughs> and, and as I mentioned to you, I was, I'm, I'm speaking out of, uh, out of school here where conversations we had off the mic where, um, I'm going to interview someone who's connected to the Buddhist world. And he pointed out to me that, um, one of the translations for Buddha is woke one. So someone that's post woke, he said, could be an interesting Buddhist joke. So um, when he's on the show, I'm going to post Buddha podcast. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to. Isn't everything in this age technically post Buddha? That's a good point. Yeah. If it's not, <laughs> it should be. Um, I don't know what that means. So now <laughs> we've, we've had you on the show a bunch of times and quite often the entry point is your burgeoning and rapidly growing musical career, which we could touch on absolutely. But more recently, as you're working on your EP, you've also been really ramping up the amount of writing you're doing mm -hmm. on your personal website, Hologram Press. So you've been releasing a lot of essays and getting some good feedback. So why don't you tell me and the listeners a bit about Hologram Press and the type of material you like to tackle there? Sure thing. So I run a site called hologrampress.com. It's a symposium where we question everything from the mainstream media to the moon. And uh, right now I am the primary contributor. You have also been published on this site and moving forward in the future, I hope to attract some more excellent essayists and perhaps even other forms of media um, onto the platform. Um, it's, it's really just a place to ask anything and everything having to do with the nature of reality. So who are we? Why are we here? What is Earth? How does it operate? Um, we talk about the paranormal, um, the occult, magic, philosophy, the meaning of life, pretty much anything that falls under why, like the big questions why. So uh, running parallel to Post Woke's um art of intellectual self-defense it's 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 even uh, another level of like an art of spiritual self-defense where mm. you're asking like when i think of my podcast and my substack i like to think that i'm comfortable taking on taboo topics and and challenging beliefs that um are pretty ingrained in our culture mm -hmm. but i know from being a reader of hologram that you'll take that to another level to the point where you seem very comfortable with um, tackling topics that a certain portion of the population, to be radically honest, may think sound crazy. And so, mm -hmm. like, so basically, talk about that. Talk about your willingness to to <laughs> to address these topics, and but also for the people who are listening to this show, assuming that they like the type of topics I write about, what would attract them about the level that you take it to? Oh, well, I love the word crazy. And I, <laughs> I have learned to revel in being perceived as crazy um, because being perceived as crazy was a fear, a very, very, very deep core fear that I carried for the majority of my life until, let's call it my second spiritual awakening uh, right before the pandemic. Um, or as we call it here, the pandemic. Um, so 
I I used to let that hold me back from being honest about the things I like to contemplate all day, which are all, you know, God and the afterlife and anything kind of spiritual and out of the box. And once I realized that that was a very stupid reason to hold back my true essence from the world and express what I really want to talk about, I was liberated. I mean, like once you get over the fear of being crazy, or even just being perceived as crazy, the, oh my God, the freedom. I can hardly even articulate how good it feels. Now I can say whatever I want and no one can stop me. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that actually, no joke though, that actually has become sort of a motto of mine. I know it's like, uh, I don't even remember the whole movie, but it's from Austin Powers and um, it actually is so motivating to me. Like, okay, so what if I question the moon? Who's gonna stop me? No one can stop me. And and that's so empowering in a sort of weird way. Um, so yeah, uh, I will question everything from like, what is the light at the end of the tunnel that people see during near-death experiences? Is that a trap? Is that an illusion? It, you know, should we go towards it? Because everyone seems to think that at the end of the tunnel where the light is, that that's heaven or, um, you know, it, it, that's where your loved ones are or what have you. And um, Hologram Press is the kind of place where we'll even bring that into question and take, you know, everything we take for granted spiritually is subject to questioning. And so I should let your listeners know that hologram press wouldn't be possible if not for unminding which i have archived it is no longer available on any search engine um it, it, but people who've been following my writing for a long time will know about unminding unminding was my cult recovery project that i started i think in 2014 um there's still some videos on my youtube about the concept but basically um i was born and raised into a cultic church after I left that, I wasn't aware yet of how that church had patterned my brain to think like a cultist. So I was still thinking in black and white. I was still very us versus them. Um, I was still very evangelical, like, oh, I have the truth and no one else has the truth. And and the way a cult warps your perception um, is very insidious. It's very hard to look within and see that it has brought out the worst in you and um, then to go inward and do that healing so that you can start thinking clearly again and start, you know, connecting with other humans in a more egalitarian way again, instead of in the hierarchical fashion of a cult. Uh, it's it's difficult work, but I, I committed myself to doing the work. I called the work Unminding, where I undid all the damage and abuse and trauma that was um, imposed upon my mind since birth because I was born into this cult. And um, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but I have developed a sort of system of uh, basically, well, I, I call, I, I identified the real problem of cultism as being the identification with ideology. So it's when someone has a belief system that they then invest their entire personality in so that they identify with ideas. And when you begin to identify with an idea, you lose your core self, you lose your true essence, and you become a very fragile sort of being who the second somebody questions the ideas that your whole ego is wrapped up in, your existence is threatened. And so that's what cognitive dissonance really is. It's it's the anger. It's the 
like excruciating feeling of dread when somebody challenges what you've based your entire perception of reality on. And so the more you can disidentify with ideas, the healthier you'll be able to think, basically. And so originally unminding, I assumed that by taking on the work of disidentifying from ideology that I would become an atheist or something. But what it's actually done is brought me back to a version of spirituality that's true to me personally. And so I no longer follow any leaders. I no longer um, represent any movements. I, I no longer automatically take sides with like, uh, feminists or conservatives or whatever group and whatever ideology, uh, ideological label. Um, so now I'm just kind of this rogue. Uh, I, I call myself an idea not where I explore ideas and that's my idea of fun, you know, because now that I've freed my mind from these cultic patterns um, and and behavioral structures that came from the cult, I, I can literally question anything and it doesn't scare me anymore. Well, I would imagine, I mean, first of all, thank you for that explanation. And <laughs> yeah. I know you long enough to, to have witnessed some of this and been fortunate enough to come along for the ride on some of it too. Um, but the, as you're describing that, I'm thinking to myself that when you allow yourself to be that autonomous, that much of a free agent, that you, in a way, ideologically and even spiritually, almost become um, like a. I, I was going to say homeless, but I don't. I don't want to <laughs> use. The, well, because because I don't want to. I don't want to downplay what homeless people go through. But there yeah, is. Absolutely. But I think it's an accurate term in the sense that that you don't. Like you said, if you're if you're not believing something because it's feminist or because it's conservative, almost by definition, that means that you will have feminists and conservatives mad at you. So mm -hmm. now, so if it's so much fun to be autonomous, how do you balance out the inevitable um, feedback you get from people who haven't made the same choice as you? People who are very, very much attached to the ideology, and you know we've witnessed two plus years of, of what that's like, um, just mm -hmm. now, but like, how do you find that balance? Because, um, it's, it's difficult to, to stand on your own at times. Oh yeah. Well, as for how I reconcile my commitment to, um, you know, I, I, I used to say unminding, but now I'd rather say reminding because it's more about creating, um, the kind of mental, safe haven that I would like to have more than it is undoing the damage that used to be there. Um, now that I'm committed to reminding, I, I tend to just naturally draw people who are curious and yes, uh, maybe not unfortunately, but it just so happens that most of the people attracted to my work are all ideologues to varying degrees. I mean, it's so rare nowadays to find someone who is genuinely, attempting to be non-ideological like even people who think that they're not ideological um can run the risk of of that becoming their ideology which you know i'm i i'd say is probably true of me right now um i, I think there is like some fear of committing to an idea at this point because man when you look at what the world is right now everyone's just like 
mm. just so divided and split and there's no nuance anywhere to be found on the internet. It's a little frightening. So um, I kind of can't help that like ideologues are attracted to my writing. Um, but as for my close inner circle of friends, um, regardless of what they might believe, what I look for now in a friend is ethics, like a strong moral character, which I, this is why I'm always telling people your ethics must come before your ideology. You must know yes. what right and wrong is, what good and evil is before you go shopping around for ideas or before you go getting sucked into an existing belief system, because most people um really have not asked themselves these deeper questions of like what does it mean to be a good person what does it mean to be loving and kind before they get wrapped up in an ideology and then once you're subsumed by an ideology you can justify anything i mean it's the classic like people not realizing that they're full of hatred and that they're murderous you know the nazis are a good example like people getting sucked into what they think is a valorous endeavor but looking back on history obviously um these are people who thought they were doing the right thing but somehow had it so twisted and backwards and inverted that they the opposite was true so if you don't know what you stand for before you go identifying with something um you can very easily be sucked into like a hive mind effect where you're just kind of being carried by the currents of the masses and so um for me it's so important that i judge people now by their actions not their ideas so i don't care how much of a good little liberal you are. I don't care if you never misgender anybody. I don't care if you are the most not misogynistic dude ever in words. I don't care if you've never said the N-word, you've never said anything racist in your life. How you treat people is what I care about. And if you're arrogant, if you're mean-spirited, if you casually call for the deaths of like TERFs or whatever, like whatever group you think deserves to die, I don't care what you believe, you're not a good person. And I wish more people would understand that, especially, I mean, I know you relate to this because when we were both vegans, we were shocked at how people were casually calling for you to like be killed when you stop being vegan. These were vegans who pride themselves in being so compassionate. And then the second you left the hive mind, suddenly you deserve to be like slaughtered just like the animals that they say they would never slaughter, right? And they, yeah, they use they use the identical language like unironically. Mm, mhm. Mm and it so I think that really says it all that um what I think it's easy for us in this digital information sharing age where everyone's an avatar before they're a person, um it's easy to lose sight of who the person is, but I, I, I really, if, if I've learned anything, it's that people are their actions. They are not their words and they are not their ideas and they're not their thoughts. So that also works in the reverse. Um, oh no, I, I just had the thought and then I lost it. Um, oh, oh, I won't assume somebody's a bad person because they're saying words that I don't like. Mm. So, so the same way that people need to act in alignment with the values they claim to hold i also will give people the benefit of the doubt until they've demonstrated differently so yes i think transhumanism is dangerous and i think it's vile 
and I will be writing about that on Hologram Press to clarify um, my, my personal stance on it. But just because someone's a trans ally and is like totally pro like, um, you know, putting, you know, pronouning everyone and everything like that, I won't assume they're a bad person until they've shown me their fangs. You know what I mean? Like, because sometimes yeah. innocent people get get sucked up into this stuff and i would you know just as i would have liked to be given the benefit of the doubt when i was a rabid ideologue foaming at the mouth at everybody um i try to extend that grace to people who grew up on the internet just like i did and and forget that there's a real world where people actually act and don't just talk i like i like that what you just described puts the lie to this um, ongoing belief that words are violence. And you're saying, no, quite mm. the opposite. When somebody speaks, I hear them and I pay close attention, but then I'm going to pay even closer attention to the actions that follow those words before I position myself relative to that person. While we live in a culture, particularly on the woke left, where um, you're judged not even the words you speak. It could it could be something you tweeted when you were 15 years old, or and that, something you liked on Facebook. Yeah, like you could be you could be held quote unquote liable, like you said, for liking a post randomly oh. on Facebook six months ago, and now you are canceled and you're barred for life from that group. And I like I like the way you flip the script there in the sense that that it, it's it's the old cliche, actions speak louder than words. There's a reason why mm -hmm. it's been around forever. And so yes. I, I appreciate that. And But I, I don't want to go too far afield without you getting a chance to at least tell us a little bit about the more specific topics you tackle, because I, I could talk all day with you about breaking down the cults of ideology, but mm -hmm. I also want people to, to like if they click on hologram press it'll be in the show notes it's not like it's going to be one post after the other where you're ripping ideology you have this broad <laughs> scope of topics that fascinate you and with the freedom you've given yourself to not worrying about being quote unquote crazy i really admire that you'll just take on whatever whatever you it, that your mood strikes and say i'm going to write about this today and i find myself i mean for example the other day you wrote about Pluto, and yeah. I, com I commented where I literally said to you, I don't really ever contemplate Pluto, but I'm all for this conversation because it forces me to to ask myself the question you propose in the article of um, how do you know what you what you know, or why do you believe what you believe, and these this constant questioning yourself of like where do my beliefs come from? So please tell us a couple of topics to give people a flavor of what Hologram Press is about. Oh, man. When I say nothing is off limits, I truly mean there are no <laughs> limits, no limits on the you. questions. <laughs> the only really the only limit is language itself, because the things I, I can't write about because are, are only because I don't have the words for them, not because I'm like afraid or anything. But for example, I mentioned the white light at the end of the tunnel earlier. Um, the moon, I have. Uh, more than suggested that the moon is a fake ass bitch and um, people just assume that it's like a, a naturally occurring planet in our solar system. But um, I took it to task and raised a lot of questions about the the legitimacy of the moon. And personally, I have come to the conclusion that it is an artificial construct that was inserted into our sky by advanced intelligences 
um, and appeared in the middle of human history. Like it, it wasn't always in the sky. And in fact, historical record supports that. Um, so that's a whole thing. Yeah, I also question like, why do we consider Pluto in astrology? Because um, I'm an astrologer. And um, yeah, oh God, what else? Um, oh, you know, this this was a good thing to get off my chest. I was a radical feminist for a hot minute and well, more than a hot minute. It has deeply left an impression on me. But um, it instead of now just being a purely political stance, um, I now see the more spiritual undercurrent to what feminism really is. And to me, that means um, healing the, I guess you could say the divine feminine or the feminine essence of the soul. And um, that is a spiritual endeavor. No amount of lawmaking is going to heal, um, you know, women as a collective. And so one of the things I wrote was, what it means to be a man. And that article is called God is a man. And um, it was so refreshing instead of writing about rape as some like biological compulsion or mutation in, in, you know, male predators to finally see the spiritual aspect of it where, you know, there is a higher octave of sexual potential in humanity that most people cannot even conceive of because we have all been overexposed to a culture saturated in the most denigrated, de degenerated imagery from pornography, from the mainstream, what, what is called entertainment now is just basically all softcore porn. And most of us have been groomed by now with this idea that sex is purely a uh, meaningless, casual, pleasure-seeking activity. And it's all about the orgasm. And, you know, it's it's all about being liberated and having as much sex as you can to prove how free you are. And on Hologram Press, we might even take that to task. And and I've written about how, you know, it's it's a it's a not widely known, but you can actually have sex more like a prayer. You can actually have sex as meditation. You can transmute those lower base animal instincts into um, something that is not just about you or your partner's pleasure, but the world's healing. And how many people have ever entered the bedroom to have sex with someone and thought, yeah, let's let's make a prayer out of this. Let's let's devote this. Let's create a magic circle on the floor and have sex in the middle of it and amplify our prayers and send them out into the world as we're making love, literally making love. And I don't think most people have thought those thoughts. So, yeah. Yeah. And let, let me cut in there. And, and someone listening might be might be thinking, oh, this is woo-woo, but mm. I, you know, so did you, but we both came out of the activist world where it's not far-fetched that a group of people will go to Central Park and hold hands in the shape of a peace sign and think that it, that they're going to bring world peace that way, and yet they'll look down their nose at what you just said about sex as prayer when, when both of them perhaps have at their roots the same concept. You and I have discussed this before, where when when monks go to a, a cave to pray for the entire universe, that's the same. It, it's in the same realm where mm -hmm. you can create this frequency. And I love that you'll touch on these topics, not just touch on it, you'll dive deep into these topics. And what I want to ask though is mm -hmm. I come out of a form of writing, I go back 
my first book came out 22 years ago, and it's this heavily annotated alternative history of World War II. And I got I established myself early on as somebody that was evidence based and um, that you could trust the information that I'm putting in articles. You might disagree with my interpretation of it, but you can know that I did my homework. But I am equally as fascinated by the more esoteric topics, but perhaps not as not equally as comfortable as you are with being called crazy. I've been called crazy plenty of times, but not for the same reasons as you. <laughs> but when I when I want to talk about these topics or I want to have someone on the show um, th that you introduced me to, for example, who's a, a UFOologist, um, there is, I have to confess to a hesitation of like, am I going to lose the credibility that I've spent decades building up as someone that can dig up relevant research and back up all my points with evidence? But when I hear you talk about it and I read your stuff, I am a little jealous where I'm like, no, I want to go on flights of fancy and I want to <laughs> entertain these photos, these, these topics. Um, so what do you say to someone who either just thinks your topics aren't relevant, they're just like pie in the sky, or someone who wants to dive deeper but is genuinely afraid of what they might, how they might get labeled? Well, funny enough, um, you you do mention the appeal to evidence, and I don't find esoteric contemplations lacking in evidence in the slightest. In fact, um, mm -hmm. I give many examples of just how evidence-based the so-called paranormal actually is, and how um, the the paranormal field of the science world is severely underfunded because they're in this catch-22 of like, well, no one's going to fund you until you have some sort of compelling proof that the paranormal is real, but you can't compellingly prove it until you have the funding. So yeah. the, the paranormal research field has been complaining about this forever. And then you have charlatans like James Randi and such getting so much news coverage for allegedly putting an end to all the woo-woo nonsense with their fake million-dollar challenge. But um, if you look into that, again, don't take anything for granted. If you look into James Randi's million-dollar challenge, you'll see that that money doesn't exist. And people have already done the research and tried to call him out and expose him. But because of the bias of our collective um, consciousness towards the material world, there's this sort of like ongoing injustice towards psychics, uh, as we're called, people who acknowledge the spiritual realm where we're just not taken seriously. And I, I suspect that that's been the case throughout human history, just judging by the fact that the word Heilic has been around so long, there's always been words to describe people who don't have that sixth sense um, because there's always been people who do have that sixth sense. So mm. that that tension has been going on for as long as, as we can point to in human recorded history. So I actually don't think there's any lack of evidence and I've written many essays about that for anyone who's curious. Um, uh, I, in fact, most of the, the first essays I wrote on Hologram Press were just me establishing, you know, here's all the reasons you should take the paranormal seriously. And um, I, so if anyone's curious, they can go find that. But um, there was a second part to your question I was supposed to be answering. Um, um, the Being called crazy or something like that. Well, it was kind of, it was kind of blending together, like, like someone that's in my position as a writer um, you, you just answered it actually. Oh, okay. you, you make, you make me, no, you make me think to myself like, yeah, I need to, um, 
I need to be as diligent in digging up that evidence you just mentioned as I am with all the other evidence I, I dig up. And then yeah. making my own, I can then make my own determination. This evidence I dug up, am I comfortable writing an article based on it because I've done the, the, the homework that I've done in the past? But then more generally to the people listening as we get close to wrapping up here, um, what, what would be your um, your your pitch to them as to like, maybe they've never read top about topics like you've mentioned so far here. What would, what would you want to say to them to encourage to inspire them to give not just hologram press, but this general concept of esoteric spiritual writing um, a, a, a chance in, in a world where like follow the science is, is so ingrained as a, as a indoctrinating mantra. Um, how would you pitch to them, hey, this is really, really worth your time beyond just educating yourself, like, like good facts, like worth your time mm -hmm. spiritually and individually and, and, and life enriching wise. All right. So here's what I say to so the people who are aware that these topics are a thing, but have never looked into it. I am confident in making the following claim that almost everybody, if not everybody has at least one experience uh oh are you still there i'm here oh you're you're okay never mind um everyone alive has at least one experience that could be classified as supernatural or paranormal whether it's um seeing a shadow person in the corner of their room or asking for a sign from a deceased loved one and receiving a sign that is like so obviously and specifically for them to notice that you know otherwise wouldn't have happened under under any other circumstances um people have witnessed uh supernatural spontaneous healings um there's so many examples of these little little things that um, give you just a glimpse beyond the veil into the nature of reality being incredibly mysterious and complex and far more than just material. So everyone knows that the paranormal is a thing. Whether or not they choose to pursue those strange little happenings in their life and look deeper into it is a choice that they have to make. And most of the time, the only thing holding a person back from looking deeper into this stuff is the fear of being perceived as crazy. Now, here's where the real meat of it comes in. You have to now ask yourself, why do I even care? if people think i'm crazy where did that belief come from that i need to look like i have it all together mentally right like yeah. when did that become a value that was instilled in me and why do i still let that limit what i'm willing to think about and what i'm not allowed to think about so um it's all the pieces start falling into place once you start contemplating what insanity really is now i'm not going to sit here and claim that true insanity is not a thing I have seen people lose touch with reality, but usually, usually when people genuinely lose touch with reality, it's because of some sort of drugs or extreme trauma that makes them completely dissociate from reality. And um, but when we're talking about spiritual stuff, yes, there are exercises that are recommended and have been recommended for thousands of years to keep your ego in check because you can run the risk of starting to think that you're like Jesus' second coming and everyone should bow down to you. And so that's a, that's another kind of insanity that 
can be harmful to others, which is really, again, back to ethics, what should matter more to you than anything is, am I being a good person? Second to that is everything else. But first and foremost, am I being loving? Am I being kind? And then from there, you're free to think about absolutely anything. And so um, once you start down this path of deconstructing um, what you think you know about insanity versus what sanity really is, the willingness to see things as they are, then you'll start to understand why psychics have been under attack for so long. Because once people realize that humans can literally fly, then it, it makes a lot of sense why our world is structured to try to make people feel as powerless yeah. and infantile as possible. I mean, we've got most of the world right now completely dependent on like figureheads on TV posturing as experts on health. But just look into these people's eyes, see their soul with your soul, like look at them with your inner eye, so to speak. There's nothing healthy about them. There's no, they don't care about human health. And that's obvious, again, if you're willing to see things as they are, which requires you to surrender the, the fear of being perceived as crazy. Once you can cross that threshold, so many doors of perception will open up to you and so many things will just naturally click into place that I, I might sound like I'm speaking gibberish right now to some people, but once you cross that threshold yourself, suddenly you'll be like, oh, oh, I, I get what Allison was saying. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I'm willing to bet, having just heard what you said, where that there aren't many stories of people on their deathbed saying that their biggest regret was the handful of times that someone thought they were crazy for their belief. Like, like I, don't, <laughs> I don't think people are saying, oh my God, I really blew it by saying the moon isn't real. And it just, it's, I, I could go back and change one thing. And, and we, we are very much conditioned through pop culture and all the figureheads you mentioned where we are conditioned to just, quote unquote, be an individual, right? Like we, we admire rock stars and people who seem to be rebellious, but there's a, a very clear limit to it. Like once you step past this level of rebellion, you've now crossed into something that's either crazy, dangerous, or a combination of both. And, and I think if people want, I know if people want to have their third eye open, they should be um, clicking now in the show notes on the, the link to Hologram Press and checking <laughs> it out. And and um, you have a, a lively um, uh, comment section there. You welcome people to interact with you. And mm -hmm. I, I really hope that people will take a chance and, and uh, check it out. And, and myself Ooh, included... And before you wrap up, I on that point, I just want to make sure people understand up front, I don't claim to be an expert or an authority on the nature of reality. I simply ask questions as they come to me. And I'm still speculating. I'm forever speculating. And there's only very few things I would say I know for certain, one of them being that love is the answer to every question. And I really do believe the purpose of life is to learn how to love. And beyond that, there's so much in in uh, like that. I'm, I'm sort of still juggling in the air, like what's true and what's not true. But love feels the most true to me. And beyond that, I, I don't posture as an expert. So I don't want anyone going into it thinking, oh, Allison's about to tell me like the truth or how it all works, because I'm just as like curious and still wandering as the next person. And I, I just try to model to people what freedom of thought really looks like and invite them to ask their own questions.
Absolutely, and you, and you show them also that what you can, the, the thought process you can in, um, embrace when you put in the work to to dig a little deeper and get past these so-called taboos. So I'm, mm. I'm, I'm positive that people are gonna hear this and click on, on the link to Hologram and check it out. And I'm looking forward to uh, you getting some more readers and some more, uh, some more topics out of it. Um, so we're gonna wrap up, but just really, really, really quickly as one of your songs is the theme song of Post Woke. I uh, oh, just yeah. wanna remind people that, oh, well, you tell us just, about your musical project and what we could, your projects and what can we expect next? Well, the two main projects that um, I've got going right now are Hologram Press and When Humans Had Wings, which is where I make music. And basically the, the, the driving force between, uh, b behind both of these projects is my undying urge to remind all of humanity that humans can literally fly. And again, people will hear that and think I'm just being metaphorical, but I am being so literal, Mickey. And I I actually recently committed myself to um, a mission just to make sure I never lose sight of my ethics um, when making this art. And I said, if, if all the effort I'm putting into all of this writing and all of this music if if all it ever accomplishes is just reminding one person on earth that they can fly i've done my work and wow. i will truly that i mean i mean it like that is my entire reason now for making all the music and writing all the essays i want people to know that they can literally fly and <laughs> so um that's what i do i i try to you know I try to stay on an inspiring note, although sometimes, as you'll see, I can get pretty cynical because I'm human like the rest of us. Um, but yeah, that's that's my main thing. I just I just want people to feel a little lighter and um, like like more possibilities become obvious to them after encountering my work. Well, I deeply appreciate it. You know, I'm your number one fan, and um, <laughs> you know. I <laughs> I enjoyed this conversation as always. I will put links in the show notes to all your previous um, appearances on Post Woke. And I'm sure in the relatively near future, you will be back on the show to talk about the release of your first EP, Run Rabbit Run. So, yes. Allison, thank you very much as always. It's a pleasure. And um, I look forward to having you back on soon. Thank you again and again for giving me this space to inspire the people who listen to you. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Hey, Mickey Z here with a few messages before we get back to the show. I'm asking you to become a paid subscriber to Post Woke. To do so, it's very simple. Just go to mickeyz.substack.com. The link is in the show notes. And there, for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day, you can support what I'm doing and get a steady flow of podcasts, articles, and other content, including perks that are available only to paid subscribers. So I thank you in advance for making that commitment. It really makes a difference. In addition, if you'll scroll through, scroll through the show notes, you'll see that I have a link in there for the project I do to help homeless women in New York City. Your support is most welcome. There's a link in there for a very cool post-woke podcast t-shirt to let people know what your favorite podcast is. And there's also a link in there for my NFT digital art photography. If you're interested in non-fungible tokens as a collectible, please click that link, check it out, and maybe maybe buy yourself a collectible work of art. 
So on that note, thank you again. And most importantly, please consider becoming a subscriber at mickeyz.substack.com. And now let's get back to the show. I'm going to wrap up this episode with a lighthearted story of the week. And it involves a guy named Vinny, with whom I was good friends with in my late teens and early 20s. And Vinny was a very quirky dude who could maneuver his beat up old white Toyota Corolla in ways that I've never seen anyone handle their car. He could drive it backwards better than most people could drive their car forwards. And I am not exaggerating. And Vinny did this with immense pride. But here's the catch. He wouldn't drive his car backwards in the wrong direction. He would drive along with other cars in the same direction as them, only he was using the car going backwards. Now, this was a major league head game for anyone sharing the road with him. So he would get us all in the car, let's say me in the front and Frank and Pasquale in the back, and he would instruct us to sit straight and look forward which I guess in a way was backward, but look forward as if we were doing nothing unusual. And this just added to the chaos. And he would ever so slightly turn his head and use the rearview mirror to drive. The best would be when we stopped at a red light alongside other cars, because we would be facing technically in the wrong direction, but driving along with them in the right direction. And so the people in the car theoretically behind us were usually bewildered to say the least. And one more Vinny rule, do not laugh or act differently than you would on any other neighborhood cruise. This touch made the sight of us even more surreal. And trust me, we could pass a couple of hours doing this. But Vinny's driving magic did not end there. He also perfected the ability to sit in the passenger seat, but still drive his car. His left hand would covertly hold the bottom of the steering wheel out of sight from people on the streets and his left leg would stretch over to manipulate the pedals and people would freak out. But as with the backward driving, Vinny had this incredible knack for acting as if everything was normal. The first time I saw Vinny do the no driver bit, he was turning the corner on my block and I did a genuine silent movie caliber double take. He waved to me casually as he drove past while a neighbor of mine mumbled something about Vinny using cruise control. I must have laughed for 20 minutes. But the next step was to add passengers. So Vinny would get me and Frank to sit in the back seat because theoretically there was no room in the front seat, even though it was just him. And we would cruise together through Astoria. He would have the radio blasting with his right hand out the passenger window, fingers snapping to the beat. The responses as we drove along crowded Dittmar's Boulevard were priceless, indelibly etched into my mind. And Vinny loved this game so much that he would do it alone if he had errands to run. Now, there were other ways that Vinny could maneuver his Cor Corolla like it was a toy. One night, headed to Rocco's for a slice, he swung into a U-turn in front of the pizza place. However, he never came out of the U-turn. Instead, Vinny kept driving to the Toyota in tight circles in the middle of the intersection until people came out of the pizza joint and the bar next door to witness it. He'd stop after a few spins and ask someone if they knew where Rocco's was and then start circling again. Finally, after taking us in about 
50 rotations at least, Vinny stopped, parked the car, and announced to the two dozen or so people now gathered to watch, damn, I drove in circles to find this place. Yeah, he got a rousing round of applause. Vinny was an endless source of laughter, but, but one night the joke was on him. About four of us happened upon his Corolla in the parking lot across the street from the old Astoria movie theater. So we all got out of our car, lined up behind the rear bumper of the Corolla, and counted off one, two, three. And on three, we would lift and move the tiny car a little until we, we did this enough times until we had the car at least 90 degrees from its original position. Days later, Vinny still puzzled, told us about the night he and his girlfriend, his future ex-wife actually, came out of the movies to find his car parked in such an odd way. And Vinny ended up getting quite the tongue lashing because his girlfriend was saying you, how his, pointed out how his childish sense of humor could have ended up getting the car towed. He was pissed and puzzled. We made the spontaneous decision to not share the backstory with Vinny at that point in that state. But if we did, we could have warned him in the future, keep your guard up.